look to the word. I want to thank you for many cards and emails and statements of uh, your condolences and really just prayer and support. And um, seems like I just got back from California and hard to believe. Uh, I'll be going back out there this Friday. Suzanne and I will be fl flying out on Friday and coming back the very next day. Uh, just flying out for a quick memorial service. And if you would pray that the gospel is given uh, and that Christ ex is exalted, we would appreciate that very much. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look at this passage. Lord, make us careful students of Scripture today. By your Spirit, we can grasp what you taught. 2,000 years ago, as, as we read in chapter 4, it says, You privately explained to your disciples everything. And this morning, we want to avoid wrong conclusions, no matter how popular they are or how well-intentioned the teachers are. Let nothing distract us from what you have commissioned us as a church to do. Rightly handling the word of truth is profitable. Making unwise, unwarranted assumptions and, and assertions is misleading. So when we are done with this text today, may we end up where you ended up when you taught your disciples. Put a fire in your church, O oh God. Put a, a quiet confidence in us as well. In the midst of political and emotional storms that can toss us, anchor us to truth as we keep our eyes on you. Creation needs its redemption. Israel needs her Messiah. The lost need a Savior. And the church needs the power of Christ to preach these important themes. The politician today is powerless to fix what's broken in our society. The educator, the philosopher, the psychologist can't bring meaning or healing that is really needed. But you, Lord, you, Lord, can scrub the earth clean of unbelief and rebellion. You can bring peace and purpose to this cursed planet. We pray this in your name. Amen. I included in the outline, although I'm sure it's just fresh as yesterday, uh, what I preached three weeks ago. Uh, we started this text, and then last week, and by the way, I've heard some very good comments. So many of you appreciated the testimony of the Spences last Sunday afternoon, as did I. Uh, we really appreciated what, what they had to say. But now it's time to go back and finish some unfinished business. So, so we're, if you say, weren't you ready to start chapter five? I have to keep you off balance. I can't be too predictable. So we're going back to verses 30 through 34 to finish that up. And if you were not here when we covered the verses 29 or 26 through 29, we had there that we don't contribute anything to the power or the process of our 
salvation or regeneration. Now we're looking at the Lord uses another parable, goes back to an agricultural farming theme, but now he has a different theme that we're looking at today. And let's put it this way, if you're filling in the blanks, we cannot comprehend the greatness of God's kingdom. The two words comprehend and kingdom. All right, as we have seen in many weeks, the Lord speaks in parables. The parables were not intended in a simple and clever way to make the light come on so people went, oh, you told that story and now I understand. Rather, a parable literally means something that is laid or cast beside or parallel. The Lord is taking something and putting it in juxtaposition to something else to help us understand. He's already taught about the, the nature of the kingdom. They would like to know more about the timing of the kingdom, as we will see. But the Lord could take a fish or a coin or a coin in a fish's mouth, for that matter. He could do a miracle. He could do a, take a parable and he could teach wonderful things. But the parabolic method was part of the overall strategy of the Lord in which he is teaching the disciples, and if I can put it this way, obstructing the obstructionist. (laughs) Who were the obstructionist? Well, they were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes who oftentimes were trying to trick him up or trying to ensnare him or trying to literally to kill him. They weren't coming saying, Lord, would you help us understand? Help, we believe, help our unbelief. That's, that's not why they were coming. And so the Lord could pe- preach and oftentimes did to a mixed audience of believers and unbelievers. And to the believers he's teaching, he's given them more information. And to the unbelievers who were set in their ways, who basically were saying, no matter what you say, we would never believe the likes of you. Jesus says that I'm leaving you in your confusion. We saw back in chapter 4 and verse 12, a reference to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9, that that he revealed and he concealed. At all times, the Lord was in control, wasn't he? And he could hold back the wickedness of those who would desire to see his undoing. And then he could move things ahead because he was in control. He set the, the pace. And that's really what the gospel the Gospels is a record of the Lord progressing his plan, his plan of redemption. The Lord is not each day saying, they're, they're laying for me where? They, they, they're saying, what? Ah, that kind of sets me back about three weeks on what I wanted to do. No, the Lord is dictating the terms. He's setting the schedule and And it's as if he, at times, seems to poke the bear. It's as if the Lord says something, you say, oh, Lord, that's going to make them upset if you say you're the Lord of the Sabbath. 
but he is even hastening the day of his death because he's in control and they are not and we as we saw last week are not so the offer of the kingdom would be postponed and the reference to a cross and a tomb and an arrest all these things that were pretty much disturbing themes those things are going to become on the increase we can't comprehend the greatness of the kingdom by the way the reference to kingdom I think shows up around 52 times in the four gospels and 14 times in the rest of the New Testament and I may say some things that that don't fit with what you've heard about the kingdom most churches that you would go to today they're going to refer to we're doing kingdom work we're in the kingdom and I just don't see it that way and uh, I want to point out that the term when we speak of the Lord's millennial kingdom his physical reign it will be as we're told in the Old Testament and new a rule in which he will reign for a thousand years through Israel with Jerusalem as being the capital of the world. Do you see that right now? Say, but no, but pastor, I think that the Lord rules over all things and his kingdom is over all. His mediatorial rule, has the Lord ever not been in control? Before he made the world, he was in control. And as he spoke things into existence, he has always been and always will be in control. But that's not what he's talking about here. And so that's not what we're talking about. By the way, 30 times, 32 times in Matthew and only in Matthew, we have a reference to the kingdom of heaven. That's something different, right? Don't fall for those questions. Don't fall for them. I, I, I find kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God used quite often interchangeably. But uh, in verses 30 and 31, point A in your outline, let's put it this way, humble beginnings. He says, with what can you compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Some things are so big, they defy our imagination. I was reading this week that if we got in a commercial airliner, been there and done that recently, we'd rather not for a while. But if we got in a commercial airliner and headed off to the sun, at 400 miles an hour, it would take us 20 years to get there. When I read that, I have a different way of thinking. I'll be very honest with you. I thought, boy, that would be a really thrilling trip at first and a very terrifying one at the end. I don't think that's, that's what they were going for. But somebody else said it would be like if we took our universe and, and made it into basically a football field and the, took the sun, the largest thing in, in our solar system, and made it about the size of a dime and put it at one end of the of the football field, 
Neptune would be at the 60-yard line. Some things are too big and defy our imagination. And you know what? And some things are so small, so microscopic, they defy our imagination. Have you been to uh, Yosemite or Sequoia or Kings Canyon? Have you seen those giant redwoods? And, and then sometimes they have in the, in the visitor center a picture or one of the seeds that it came from. You think, no way. God is so good. He's made some seeds that as we walk along, they get stuck on our boots or on our clothing and we help distribute them. Some of them are like helicopters that, uh, that, that the wind can blow hundreds of yards from the tree that let them go. Some of them are like little parachutes, little puffs that, uh, that leave somebody's weed and go across town and end up in my yard. Okay. But God designed each of them with instructions on how to reproduce themselves. God put in the the mighty oak, in the acorn of that oak, the DNA, how, what kind of soil it thrives in, how deep to put those roots. God was in control of that. There are some variables that can affect the outcome of a crop, weather, pests, uh, disease. But the cycle of planting and harvesting, that really has not changed since God ordained it in the beginning. And so he uses a mustard seed to illustrate the greatness, the expanse as it grows, of the kingdom that God gives. It goes exponentially from something that starts of something so small. And the focus is on something that's so small, inevitably grows and takes over, becomes something huge. When I was meditating on this passage and praying about how to preach it, I thought, you know, we live in an age where people want to be some, part of something big. A big church. You say, well, I don't want to be part of a big church. That's why I'm here. I've got news for you. In some circles, even in some churches in our own fellowship, this is a big church. Okay? But little is much, as our bulletin says. Little is much. Some of you know the song that goes along with that. You're singing it in your head right now. Little is much when God is in it. Well, the focus on the process here of something huge, inevitable growth as God gives it. Little as much when God is behind it. When God performs it, He produces it. The mustard seed is a weed in the Middle East. You can, not right now, please on your phones, some other time, you can Google how to plant mustard seed. Have, have you... Uh, been outside of town, sometimes you, even here in Ohio, you can look at a whole field and you think, oh, what are those pretty little yellow flowers? Sometimes it's a field of mustard seed. It, uh, I, I was researching even this morning that it grows even best in cool weather and, and a light frost can actually, they say, improve the flavor of it. You have to take my word for that now. But You will also, if you're researching about a mustard seed, 
you will find a warning how prolific it can spread and take over a garden as well. As the Lord is teaching, does he point to a mustard seed right over here? They say that the plant can grow anywhere between five and typically nine feet, although I've read some articles that say 15, 20 feet. Let's take, let's, let's say 10 feet, okay? Uh, that mustard seed that grows that big to other plants in that same garden looks like a tree. So, first of all, let's look at how ancient Jews would have understood what Jesus meant when he referred to this mustard seed. You take a ruler, not the side that, that you use, the standard, but the other side, the millimeter, that you never use, and those little tiny hash marks that are almost together. And the mustard seed is one of those little marks, to two, one to two millimeters uh, of, and, and growing to that big, something that small to that big is the point that Jesus is trying to make here. In our text, Mark says, it puts out large branches. Luke put it this way in Luke 13, 19. It grew and became a tree. Whether you want to call it a big bush or a large tree, in comparison with the other plants, it became large. We know in Luke chapter 1, in, in, in Psalm 1, in Psalm 92, in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, there are times where, Jesus, where God uses the idea that the righteous flourish like a tree. And we, we see that analogy used, but that's not what he's ta talking about. That's not the point that Jesus is making here. That the righteous flourish, he's talking about the kingdom that will grow. And here's where I'm going to differ from most pastors. By the way, Pastor Smith and I are in agreement. I made sure of that. So That's one of the things I checked out about him before we ever asked him to come down here as pastor. Not that he would agree with me on everything, but that we... Uh, never mind. But there are pastors that say, you know what? Uh, it started small because Jesus started the church. It started small because of his 12 apostles. And I would say that's, that's not the beginning of the church at all anyway. And so they say, see, that's what Jesus is talking about. It started small with, with just 13. But is the church the same thing as the kingdom of God? And I would say no. Did the church start off small? I could make a case that the church started off bang with a bang at Pentecost. Thousands of people on that first day were saved and, uh, and baptized and added to the church. That doesn't seem like a small seed to me. But Christ's kingdom has, is a literal, physical kingdom with a global impact. And we need to re be reminded of that. Think of different nations that have tried to rule over the world. Rome, Persia, Assyria, Germany under Hitler, right? He was going to have a thousand-year rule. 
How falsely messianic was that? And some of these have succeeded in ruling over a small area or even a large area, but none of them for a thousand years. What the Lord will do will rule over all things for a thousand years. And if you say, well, I think we're living in the kingdom, my question to you would be, are we living at a time of no war? Are we living with no disease? Are we living, most importantly, is Christ here ruling? So let's look at this next statement, how the modern believer should understand these birds. We're told it put out large branches so that the birds of the air could make nests in its shade. Now, I'm not going to make a mountain out of a molehill, but I, I do want to touch on this. I think this is interesting and it's important. Is, a, is Jesus referring to birds only to give us a marker about how big the tree is? Sometimes a painter or somebody drawing will do that. Uh, so you know how big it is. They put something that you would say, okay, that I know. Oh, a, a bird. So that must be a huge tree. Is that all that Jesus is doing? Telling us that it, it could be. That's possible. By the way, Israel is 70 miles wide, 270 miles long, and over 400 kinds of birds can be found in Israel. It's right along that migratory path between Africa as they're headed back and forth to Europe and Asia. A lot of them will stop there. The phrase birds of the, of the air in its branches, that may, and I say it may connect us with other texts that we should study. Uh, I'll give you an example. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 12, verse 21, Nebuchadnezzar in his second vision has this vision of this large tree and birds in it. And when Daniel is giving the interpretation of that, he makes it very clear that uh, you and, and Babylon are that, uh, that large tree and God is about ready to cut you down. Not maybe what, where he wanted that to go. In Ezekiel, chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. That, now there's another nation that is likened to being a big tree with birds in it. This time, it's Egypt. And so great was this tree that it says in that text, even the trees of Eden were, were jealous of it, envied it. In both cases, whether Babylon or Egypt, the tree represents the arrogance of a nation and it foreshadows the eventual decline, the chopping down of that tree. By the way, a number of Jewish writers would have referred to birds in a tree uh, in Daniel's vision, they said the birds are the Gentiles that, and, and a lot of pastors have picked up on this too. It's the Gentiles in the kingdom and it's the prophet, a, a, a tree provides a place of, for birds to build their nests and by which for them to hunt from. But is that what Jesus was trying to say? Jesus' parable of the mustard seed 
is not about Gentile salvation. That's not his point at all, at least not yet. Jesus' point, if we're to say, what is his intention? Where is he going to this? Is that a mustard seed grows from a tiny plant to a large one. Inevitably, it's, it's built in there. And that's what God has built in to his kingdom. I'll give you one other reference. Ezekiel, this time, 17. We won't look at verses 22 and following. But now Israel is likened to a noble cedar. And verse 23 says, Under it dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, every sort will nest. What is God in reference to in Ezekiel? A time of the restoration after Israel returns back from the exile. Listen, there's coming a time, folks, where Israel is going to thrive. Amen? That's not now. A pastor, I think they're doing pretty well. Not like they're going to. They will be like a large cedar tree. And, and God will bring blessing to the world through that little nation of Israel. By the way, he will expand their borders, but still. So let's talk about not only the fact that, that we have this, uh, uh, these birds, but let's look at the magnificent conclusion. It started off as a, something very humble, just a seed. You wouldn't see the seed unless you were really looking for it. Sometimes things are so small. Several years ago, my wife had lost the, the diamond in her ring. And we thought, well, where, where do you start looking for that? Weeks later, I was sweeping in the, in the kitchen, thought, oh, piece of broken glass, better reach down, found that little tiny diamond. Isn't that amazing? I remember my father would take his youth group sometimes to different events. One time they went to a stock car races and this lady was screaming and yelling because her husband was the driver who just won. And next thing she knew, her, her rings flew off her hand and went ding, 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 down below the bleachers. So he took the 20 or 30 kids that he had brought on this Activity and said, well, let's see if we can find it. Went down there and shined a flashlight. How many of you remember when you had pull tabs on, the, on, on drinks and, and uh, there was the sea of silver pull tabs? <laughs> you know they found both of those rings. There are times where we, we find things that are very small. Things start off very humble, but there's this magnificent conclusion that he talks about. Let's finish verse 32 so that it, the birds of the air can make their nest. And with many such parables, he spake to them, spoke to them, the word to them, as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. I want you to rejoice in this, that God carries out all his perfect will. Can you say amen with me? God carries out all his perfect will. We will never hear God make a confession in heaven. Well, I got to tell you, I meant to do the following. I didn't get around to it. Or Satan stood in my way. Or the world wrapped up before I planned. 
Now, what, what you gonna do? Number one, the church will grow as designed. The church will grow. Again, I don't think that he's speaking about the church here. The mission of the church, listen to me very carefully, the mission of the church is not to be the kingdom. I would ask you, how do we do that? Where did the Lord teach his disciples? Be the kingdom. Bring in the kingdom. By the way, we can't be the kingdom, and we can't bring in the kingdom. Why is that? Because the kingdom needs a king. Jesus says he's coming again. Christ is building his church now. Will it have part in that kingdom? Absolutely. And we can rejoice in that. But what you and I are to do is to proclaim that Christ is coming again. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, I think it is, says, and every eye will see him. He's picking up that theme from Zechariah chapter 12. We should be proclaiming, but right now, the church is not social justice warriors. We're not trying to fix everything broken in this world because he's going to do that. I will show you that in just a moment. Secondly, the kingdom will come as promised. The church is going to grow as designed. The Lord says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the church. But in the second point, the kingdom will come. Now, turn in your Bibles, please, with me over to Acts chapter 1. I want you to see something before we... We conclude here. The Lord has already died. He's already risen. Just before he ascends, you have this conversation. Follow with me at verse 6. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a fair question. Does the Lord scold them for asking that question? No. What had he been teaching them for the last 40 days? Nothing new, but in reinforcing the significance of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom. And so their question is, is is it now, Lord? We have left all and followed you. We've seen you do marvelous things. You have healed. You have changed water into wine. You've made the dead come back to life. So, Is your plan to do this through Israel now, Lord? Think of the question in the way that they would be asking it. Is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom? When they say, Lord, are you going to bring back the theocratic kingdom? You know what also they're asking? Lord, is it time for Israel to be at the center of your plan again? We remember as we read in the Old Testament that that Israel, when they were obeying you, they were unbeatable. Nobody could take them down. And whatever they touched seemed to prosper. So Israel is key to your plan. Is it time for your sovereign working through Israel again? That's their, their question. 
they expected, and I think rightly so, that through Abraham's seed or through his heirs, these blessings would come again. And it will. But that's not what we're living in. Is God blessing Israel? I'll tell you that without God's hand, Israel would not exist right now. Without his protection, they would be overrun as we speak. There are plenty of weapons aimed at them. But they had learned from the master the nature of the kingdom. The question was about the timing of the kingdom. Jesus spoke of it chronologically. He says in Luke chapter 21, verse 31, that it is future. And so they knew that. And is this the future? Is it now? By the way, the kingdom is not something abstract. It's not just something spiritual. It's not something you feel. It is a physical kingdom. Matthew chapter 25 Verses 31 through 32. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this. I believe this with all my heart. We have to be careful how we interpret the word of God. And to think that when Isaiah, for instance, was talking in the last chapters of, of his great uh, book about Bible prophecy and about the kingdom, would a Jew have understood that to mean, well, he's just speaking of that in a, in a spiritual sense. Or that there's a spiritual kingdom and then the physical kingdom. Is that how they would have? Nothing would have prepared them for that. The ruler, Jesus Christ, will rule over all things, all realms. The one that Jews and Gentiles overlooked is that insignificant seed. He's the stone that the builders rejected. If you were looking at significant seeds, there's some that, oh, look at the design of that. I know from being married to a math person, some of them have a Fibonacci spiral. Right, honey? Did I get that right? Okay. <laughs> I just got hubby points for doing that. Some seeds are, that's, that's impressive. Look at that. I would tell you that the mustard seed is impressive and that it's so small. The one that, that they overlooked, you know what? Well, as we said last week, we'll, look for the, we'll wait for the next Messiah. Thank you very much. You're not impressive enough. That one is coming again and every eye will see him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is this one who died for us, who rose again, that Matthew 28, he, he could say, all power, all authority is given unto me. Folks, be impressed with that all over again. Jesus Christ is the prophet and the priest and the king that the world needs. Jesus will commence that millennial rule. We... So maybe some good evening reading would be Revelation chapter 19 to go back and study again what happens when the Lord returns and then he takes that authority seamlessly into the eternal state. His kingdom is forever. Didn't you just sing that a few minutes ago? 
And so his millennial kingdom, when that thousand years is over, what happens at the end of the thousand years? Satan is released. Satan tries to have a, a rebellion. Satan is put down and it goes right into the eternal state because there is no end to his, his rule. His kingdom is forever. That should make us rejoice today. You're still in Acts chapter 1. So they asked that question, is it now? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So what does he give him to do? Read verse 8 out loud with me. Would you do that? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go down to verse 11. You know what he says? And, and the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again. So what should we do? Verse 8 says witness. Verse 11 says watch. Let's be faithful. I'll wrap up with this. This is kind of anticlimactic to go from speaking about Jesus to talking about B.F. Skinner. But bear with me just for a second. B.F. Skinner was an American psychologist. He was a behaviorist. He was an author. He wrote 21 books. He was an inventor. He taught, at psychology, taught psychology at Harvard for 15 years. You impressed yet? He was a smart man. Okay. Skinner developed the theory of classical conditioning. Skinner was convinced that you could study the development of people and their movements and you could study their personality and you could, and then he went from beyond that to say, and we can tell what they will do. In fact, he went and started messing with, was it wrong for him to study human behavior? I would say no. But he went from that into writing books in which he imagines a perfect society and says that human behavior can not only be explained, ready? It can be controlled. And so when this world, whether it's eugenics or social engineering, says we can predict what people, how they will act. We can control how people, they will act. I will say, where? When has that ever been done? All we can do is look back and say, how could somebody like Hitler be so deranged, so demonic? We can't control, but one can. Sinners can't improve their society, can, can they? They can't improve themselves or their society. Only God can bring the change. Only God can bring life only God can, through His Son, rule over all and make it so that we don't have disease, we don't have war, and the lion lays down with the lamb. And that ain't now, but it's coming. Only Jesus can save your soul. Only He can put an end to crime. I think it is a total waste of time for the church to say, we are now going to make the commission 
to, be thing, to include things that God says He will do when He comes. So we should be fighting. We should put an end to the following things. Make your list. He does that. He has commissioned us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill His promise to Israel. Praise God. And He will reign with His church. And you know what you and I should say? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Heads bowed. Let me pray as, at the close of this message, and then I'm going to ask one of our elders to come and close the service. Lord, our hope is in you. Bless your word in us today, your, your message. The world's message is peace and safety. When there is no peace and safety outside of Christ. The message on our lips isn't going to unify the world. In fact, you said, do you, you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. We know for a fact that the gospel will tear apart families when people are saved and others mock them. And it will heal other families that were torn apart by sin and strife that when they, they trust Christ, they are brought together on the gospel. We aren't here to be social justice warriors or even family counselors. We are here to shine and show Christ more brightly every day. Help us shine in darkness. Help us set aside personal bias and agenda and attitude and anything else that hinders our loving witness. And fill us with confidence so that our message makes a difference because our God can make a, a great kingdom come and stand. The stone that the builders rejected has become the great cornerstone. And the Messiah, Israel rejected, is the only one that they will see and must confess. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.